0: Today I'm excited. We're going to wrap up uh, our upside down and backwards series this morning uh, and we're going to look in Isaiah 55. It's been our foundational scripture. Isaiah 55, 6 through 9 it says, seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts says the Lord, and my ways are beyond, are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the kingdom of God. We said the kingdom of God is upside down and backwards. Right, that there is a spiritual system called the kingdom of God that operates in opposition to the kingdom of this world. As a matter of fact, we we said one of the greatest challenges that we face is that we have been programmed by a world system that is in opposition to God. The way the world teaches us to live our lives is usually exactly the opposite way of what God is calling us to do as believers in Jesus Christ and as those who operate in a spiritual kingdom that is not bound by the things of this world. And so literally God is calling us up to a higher level of living where we can begin to walk in His kingdom And Live our lives from that place. So look at that next point on your outline I want you to see this today. Just a little thought as we kind of dive into this last week The kingdom of God is not a band-aid The kingdom of God is not a band-aid for the problems of life. The kingdom of God is literally a way of life It's a way of life. I had a gentleman in our church send me this this week I thought it was beautiful. I just wanted to read it with you. He made this statement He said we should live in the kingdom of God and operate in the world. But most Christians live in the world while trying to operate in the kingdom. And usually the level of our kingdom involvement is dictated by the level of our worldly needs. And here's the realization today. God's kingdom is not a band-aid. And if we're going to live in the kingdom of God, here's, here's the good news about this. We can live in the kingdom, and when you live in the kingdom, you can actually become a remedy for the world. How many of you understand that you're supposed to be a solution? You are a solution to the world's problems. It is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. What does it take to save a family? It literally just takes one person getting saved. What does it take to change a community? It just takes one family getting saved. What does it take, take to, change, to change even a nation? It just takes one state setting itself apart for the glory of God. And here's the challenge. The challenge is if we're not careful, we'll, we will live in the world and try to use the kingdom as a band-aid to fix our problems instead of living in the kingdom and becoming a remedy for the problems that are in the world. God wants you, calls you, has anointed you and chosen you to be a solution. When people look at your life, they should see a solution to the problems that are daily facing us. You are supposed to be a remedy. You are the medicine that the world needs because you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And you are representing, literally representing Christ to a world that is literally lost in darkness. And so we've got to make a decision that I'm not just going to live, I'm not going to operate in the kingdom of God and still live in the world. I'm going to live in the kingdom and bring the kingdom of God into a world so that my world can be changed because of who Christ is on the inside of me. Amen. I'm not looking for a band-aid. I'm wanting to be a part of the solution. You know, I get amen in this hair today. All right, guys, good job. So let's Look at Luke chapter 6 Because what I want to do today As we kind of wrap this up I really felt like the Lord said I I really felt like there was just so much So many kingdom principles That I wanted to talk about And so I just felt like the Lord said Why don't you just close out this series And just show some contrast So today what we're going to do We're going to contrast the systems of the world and And the kingdom of God And we're going to talk about how these two kingdoms are opposite And how they work against each other And what it really looks like For us to live in the kingdom. So Luke chapter 6 verse 38. Jesus is speaking. And we're going to look at the words of Jesus all day today. So everything we're going to read. Is going to come out of the gospels. And almost everything that we're going to read today. Is going to be a direct quote out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. Jesus says give. And it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down. Shaken together and running over. Will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use. It will be measured Back to you. Give and it will be given to you. Look at that next point. The world says we gain by taking what we want. But God says we gain by giving what we need. The world says you got to be a taker. I mean, you know we live in a taking world, right? We live in a world when the world looks at something, they want something you got, they do what they have to do to take it away from you. And I was, as I was praying about this and thinking about this, the Lord just said, he said, Keith, the power of this principle is that I don't have to be a taker, I can be a giver. And all of a sudden, the way that I gain, the way that I prosper, the way that I get ahead is not by, not by taking what I want, but actually giving what I need. So if I need joy, I need to give some encouragement. If I need to to be blessed, I need to be a blessing. The Bible says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So here's the good news. I don't have to be a taker. I can be a giver, and I can actually sow my way into the future that God has for me. And all of a sudden, when I become a sower, which is a giver, instead of a taker, I get to... I get to create the future that I desire to live in. Think about that. If you're a sower and not a taker, you get to create the future that you want to live in. If you're a taker, you're always pulling away from, you're never actually building into what God wants to do in your life. And we've seen people, right, I just want to call them bullies, right? How many know we don't have to be bullies? You ever seen bullies? We have have bullies in the schools. We have social media bullies, which has become a real crazy thing, right? But it's a real deal thing. We have social media bullies. We have bullies on our jobs. Isn't it amazing, people, what people will do on the job to get ahead? Isn't it amazing how people will take and step on and stomp on other people just so they can make another dollar, just so they can get ahead of somebody else in this world? And here's the reality. That's the way the world operates. The world says you got to take what you want. And God says, no, you don't have to be a bully. You can be a believer who gives. And here's the realization. I want you to think about this. Believers believe that God is going to give a harvest to the seed that they sow. See, if you're not a sower, it's hard to be a believer. Let me explain what I mean by that. If you're not a sower, it's hard to be a believer because if you're not a sower, you become a beggar. See, if I'm investing in my marriage, I can believe God for a better marriage. If I'm investing as a tither and a giver in the kingdom, I can believe God for financial provision. If I'm investing in my children, I can believe for a godly heritage. If I'm investing on my job, I can believe God for souls to be saved and people's lives to be changed. If I'm investing in my spiritual life, I can believe God that I'm going to hear his voice and I'm going to do the works that Jesus did and even greater works than he did because I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus. See, if I am sowing, if I am giving, if I am investing in those things, then I can believe for a harvest. But guess what? If I'm not giving, if I'm not sowing, if I'm not investing, I can't be a believer. Now I just become a beggar. What do you call a guy that doesn't sow any seed? Well, Let me me rephrase. Let me give it modern day translation. What do you call somebody that doesn't have a job but wants everybody else to pay their bills? Well, there's a lot of words for that. We'll call it a beggar this morning. (laughs) A very nice word for it. See if you're not sowing seed but you're expecting a harvest you're a beggar. But if you're sowing seed and you're expecting a harvest then you're a believer because you're operating the kingdom. Think about the kingdom of God. Think about God wanted a family so he sowed a son. God didn't take or make us believe in Jesus. God wanted to redeem humanity, so he sowed the seed of his son into the earth, and now he expects a harvest. And me and you this morning are the fruit of the seed that God sowed through his son Jesus Christ. God didn't make us or take us into the family. God sowed a seed into the earth so that he could believe for a harvest through the seed of his own son Jesus Christ. That's why nobody comes kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. You come with a heart of faith that believes and receives what God has done in the earth through His Son, Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, I don't have to be a bully. I can be a believer because I'm sowing seed. So here's the good news. If you've got seed in the ground, you've got an opportunity to believe for a harvest. Because God is not Mocked whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. So I don't have to be a taker, I get to be a giver, and I get to give what I need because that's how I produce the harvest of what God has promised in my life. Somebody say, Upside down and backwards, down and backwards. Amen. Look at our next scripture, Luke chapter 6. We're going to back up a few verses. Verse 31, Jesus is speaking again. And Jesus says, Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Look at Matthew 5, 43 through 45. Jesus again. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Somebody say upside down and backwards. (laughs) Man, that's crazy talk, ain't it? Crazy to the world. That's exactly the opposite of how the world works, right? If you curse in the world, the world curses you. If you hurt somebody in the world, the world hurts you. If you do something in the world, the world does whatever you did to them back to you and probably a little bit worse. Because the world lives its life trying to get even. But look at that last verse. Jesus tells us something. He says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And then he tells us why. He's saying, I want you to be a part of God's kingdom. Look what he says. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. How many are glad God didn't kill all of His enemies? If He did, you'd be dead. Because we were born in sin in opposition to God. God sent His Son Jesus not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He blessed us. He loved us. He prayed for us. He died for us. That's how you treat your enemies upside down and backwards right look at that next point so the world says we treat others the way they treat us but God says we treat others the way that we want to be treated and this principle this kingdom truth I want you to hear this thing this kingdom truth sets us free it sets us free from bitterness from jealousy and from revenge here's the good news guys I no longer have to get even Now I can move ahead. See, when you live in a get-even mentality, right, where you've got to pay back the people that have done you wrong, and I'm going to get even with them, and I'm going to get revenge on them, all of a sudden, number one, your heart becomes bitter, and you lose your joy. Have you noticed that when you hold on to bitterness and resentment, when you have a get-even mentality, which is the mentality of the world, We we live in a, how many of you guys know, you guys know this, right? This world's pretty cruel. (laughs) Pretty wicked, pretty spiteful, pretty angry place. And the world lives by an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? And if we all lived by that rule, everybody would be blind and nobody would have any teeth. We'd all be in trouble. (laughs) Because we all, we have all, let's be honest, we've all messed up, screwed up, and blew it. But when I've messed up, screwed up, and blew it, you know what I want from other people? I want forgiveness. I don't want judgment. I don't want an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I want mercy and grace and forgiveness. And Jesus said, so why don't you treat others the way you want to be treated? When you sin against them and you want to be forgiven, why don't you forgive them when they sin against you? When you've done wrong to somebody else and you want them to love you instead of curse you, why don't you love them instead of curse them when they've done wrong to you? See, what happens, all of a sudden, Jesus, as he moves us out of the world system and moves us into the kingdom of God, all of a sudden we get set free from bitterness and resentment resentment and revenge, and it literally looses us. See, if you are living in a get-even mentality, you're constantly bound to the past. Trying to get vengeance for what happened to you yesterday. But the moment that you choose to forgive. How many know forgiveness is really a kingdom principle? The world very rarely says forgive. The world says get even. The world says pay back. The world says make them pay. The world says they ought to suffer. But all of a sudden when we begin to forgive, it releases us from the past it allows us to step into the future. But more important, I want you to hear this. It gives us joy today. Yes. You've never met a vengeful person that enjoyed their life. You've never met somebody that had bitterness and resentment in their heart that enjoyed their everyday life. They can't enjoy today because they're bound by something that happened yesterday. And so all of a sudden Jesus comes along and makes this little, we call it the golden rule, right? Treat others the way you want to be treated. And all of a sudden, he breaks the, the paradigm, he makes this amazing paradigm shift and takes us out of this get, get even eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, by the way which was the law of God. That was God God made that up. And moves us out of an old covenant, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, into a new covenant. Of mercy and grace and forgiveness where you bless and you pray and you do not curse. And all of a sudden, he looses us from a lifestyle of being bound by the past and liberates us to move into a future and a hope filled with joy. And it frees you to be the person God's called you to be. Amen? It frees you. Your heart. Look at Mark chapter 10. Let's look at our next scripture. Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. For whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And and whoever of you desires to be first shall be the slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Somebody say upside down and backwards. (laughs) So the world says to be great, you have to rise above people. God says to be great, we bow down to serve people. Think about that. Jesus said, if you want to be great, serve. If you want to be great, I want you to minister and help other people. Let me tell you what's exciting about this. What's exciting about this is is that that we live in a culture where (laughs) our world says you're great based on how many followers you have. But Jesus says you're great based on how many feet you washed. Think about that. You're not great by how many followers you have. You're great by how many feet you have washed. Our world celebrates fame, Jesus celebrates service. And if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, Jesus said you serve. Now, what I love about this story, if you remember the story, James and John have been talking to their mother, and their mother comes to James and to Jesus and says, hey, when you come into your kingdom, I'd like for you to make let one of my sons sit on your right hand and the other son sit on your left hand. Why? Because she had the world standard of success. If I'm going to be great, I've got to rise above. So if my sons are going to be great, they've got to rise above everybody else. So Jesus, let one sit on your right hand, let the other sit on your left, hand. And then the Bible says that when the other disciples heard it, they were furious and they began to become indignant or have an argument or fight among them. And then Jesus calms them down and Jesus tells them what we just read about what it takes to be great in the kingdom of God. And what I love about this is Jesus did not rebuke them for wanting to be great. He just redefined greatness. Nothing wrong with wanting to be great. As a matter of fact, we should all want to be great in the kingdom of God. We should all want to be great in the kingdom of God. But Jesus redefined success. Success is not measured by rising up. It's measured by bowing down. Now think about this for a second because this is good news. It's good news because in the world, in the natural world, sometimes you're in a place where there is no opportunity for you to go higher. Maybe you're the boss, maybe you're the supervisor, maybe you're the manager, maybe you're the the leader. And sometimes in the world, there's no opportunity for you to go up. And you've kind of hit your peak or you've hit your lid, so to speak, in how high you can go in the level of promotion or success. But here's the good news. It doesn't matter where you are and it doesn't matter what position you're in. You may not be able to go up, but everybody can go down. Everybody can bow and serve. Everybody can begin to add value. Everybody can begin to encourage. Everybody can begin to love and encourage and strengthen and equip the people that are beside them and the people that are below them. When you think about, think about the people, the people that you value in your life. Think about the people that you value. The people that you value in your life are the people that have added value to you. They're not the ones that lorded over you. They're not the people that cracked the whip and made you work harder and harder and harder and harder. No, they're the people that when you were at your lowest moment, they came alongside you and they encouraged you and they strengthened you and they helped you. And they might have even picked you up a few times. They might have even pushed you ahead of them and said, hey, why don't you stand on my shoulders? If you know who John Maxwell is and if you know who Craig Groeschel is, John Maxwell is kind of the founder of the entire leadership movement. Craig Groeschel is kind of the new voice of leadership in our world today. And both of those men build their entire leadership principles on this simple teaching. If you want to be great, you got to serve. It's not about rising above. It's about bowing down to add value. To the people that are around you. And it's powerful. It's powerful because it frees us from pride. It frees us from pride. It frees us from manipulation. It frees us from being control freaks. Y'all know any control freaks? Don't look at your neighbor. Come on. All of a sudden, we're no longer worried about who's in charge. We're worried about adding value to other people. Because in the kingdom of God, the way you increase your value is you begin to add value. And let me just tell you something. The higher God promotes you in the natural is that God wants to create a larger platform for you to serve those that are around you. Jesus said, we're not going to lead like the Gentiles lead. He said, they lord it over them. They want to be calling the shots. But Jesus said, you want to be the one washing the feet. And the higher up you are in the chain, the more feet you have an opportunity to wash. And that's a beautiful thing. And all of a sudden, Jesus does something. And it's a John Maxwell quote. I love it. He takes the cookies off the top shelf. He puts them on the bottom shelf so that everybody can be great in the kingdom of God. Because everybody can always bow and serve. No matter who you are. No matter where you are. You can always be great. Because you always have an opportunity to. To add value to other people. Amen. Look at our next scripture. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Somebody say upside down and backwards. So look at that next point the world says that the secret to life is to live your life for yourself if it feels good do it if you want it take it it's your life you only get to live once so you might uh, might as well live the life that you want to live and if anybody gets in the way stomp on them step over them move them out of the way because it's all about you and the secret to living a great life is you got to live For yourself. What? A lie. What a lie. God says the secret to life is to die to self. As I was praying about this, the Lord showed me three specific areas I think He said we need to die to. We need to die to selfishness. And what I love about the kingdom of God is that everything that God does. Everything that God gives to us, God actually does for us. The Bible says the commandments of God are not burdensome. God's commands are not intended to weigh us down. God's commands are actually intended to empower us to come out of this world and live in the kingdom. And so all of a sudden, we begin to see that we begin to die to selfishness. You know what you've never met? You've never met a happy, selfish person. Because if you're selfish, you're never happy. Not only do we die to self, but we die to self-centeredness. If you think the whole world should revolve around you, you're probably going to be lonely. Because if you live in a self-centered mentality, you're going to use and abuse all the people in your life. See, the greatest revelation you'll ever get is that your spouse isn't there to make you happy. Your kids aren't there to make you happy. Your boss isn't there to make you happy. Your friends aren't there to make you happy. The government isn't there to make you happy. The world was not created to make you happy. You are not the center of the universe, He is. And all of a sudden, you begin to recognize that God is my strength, and God is my joy, and God is my peace. And it's not people. I don't have to use and abuse people because I think I'm the center of the universe. No, now I can actually serve and love people because I realize I was created to make a difference in somebody else's life. So we die to self. We die to self-centeredness. And then we die, think about this, to self-destructive habits. Self-destructive habits. As I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, the reason, and I can speak from experience here, the reason that as Americans, we are typically, generally, uh, out of shape and overweight, (laughs) is not because somebody is forcing food down our throats. We're doing it to ourselves. Right? Just one more Reese's cup. Just one more cookie. Just one more. Just one more. The reason that so many Americans are struggling under the weight of financial stress is not because somebody stole their identity and ran up their credit cards. They actually did that. And we bought things we couldn't afford to buy. We bought things we couldn't, didn't really need, but we wanted them. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves under this weight of financial oppression because of self-destructive habits. Relationships that go from bad to worse and from worse to worse and from worse to worse Because we have selfish motives and ideas that drive the relationships. If you're looking for somebody to make you happy, you're going to be looking a long time. Because there's only one person that can make you happy. His name is Jesus. And He can satisfy your soul. And apart from that, everybody else is an extra blessing. You think about addiction today. We have an epidemic of addiction in our nation today. And people are not addicted because somebody tied them up and shoved pills down their throat or stuck a needle in their arm. They did that themselves. And as I was thinking about that, dying to selfishness, dying to self-centeredness, dying to self-destructive habits, what Jesus is really wanting to do, I, w- I was thinking about this. Sometimes when people think i got to die to self, i got to lay down my life so I can find my life. Sometimes people think, well, if I, if I follow Jesus, if I really submit my life to Christ, I'm going to lose my identity. Let me tell you, that's not true. When you submit yourself to Christ, you don't lose your identity. You find your purpose. You find your purpose. And I was talking with a gentleman this morning who said that very statement. He said, you know what I realized this week? He said, I realized my life's got a lot of purpose. There are people counting on me. People that need the gospel. People that need hope. People that need truth. See, when you when you die to self, it's not about losing your identity. It's about finding your purpose. And it's about finding out that you were created not for yourself but for the glory of God. And that's where life is. So it's not, about, it's not about losing your uniqueness. God created you that way. It's not about losing your personality. God created you that way. It's not about abandoning your gifts. God created you that way. God wants to take your identity, your personality, and your gifts and redeem them for His glory. Because all of those things have been perverted and tainted and corrupted by a world system that is in opposition to God. And we use our gifts and our personalities and our abilities to serve self instead of to glorify Him. And all of a sudden, instead of being satisfied with our lives, we find a void in our heart that just keeps getting bigger. And we make more money and the void's bigger. And we get more stuff and the void's bigger. And we get more power and the void's bigger. And nothing ever satisfies the void because we're living our lives for the wrong things. Because I'm not created to live for myself. I'm created to die to myself so I can live for God. Amen. Amen. And it's in dying that I live. Mark chapter 4. Y'all still with me this morning? Mark chapter 4. Jesus tells the parable of the sower. And in Mark 4, 14 through 20, he's explaining this parable. He says, the sower sows the word. So the seed is the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. They hear that when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves so endure only for a time but after a while, afterwards when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it and bear fruit, some thirty, some sixty, some a hundredfold. Look at that last point. The world says giving, forgiving, serving, and dying makes you weak. But God says it makes you strong. It's by giving, not taking. It's by forgiving, not revenging. It's by serving, not controlling. It's by dying to self and self-destructive habits that we find the life and the strength that God has for us. It frees you and me from this world because you can't be offended, persecuted, or tempted out of the will of God. Instead, your life will produce eternal fruit. The world says it makes you weak. God says it makes you strong. And when you begin to operate in the kingdom of God and you begin to operate in forgiveness and you begin to give instead of take and you begin to forgive instead of get even and you begin to serve instead of control and you begin to die to self instead of yield to self and selfish and self-centered desires, all of a sudden it frees and liberates you. Think about this, three things. It liberates you from offense. The Bible said when the, when the seed was sowed on the wayward path, that Satan comes immediately and plucks it up. Immediately it's taken away. And I recognize something as I was praying about this. I recognize it's called the bait of Satan. It's called offense. Satan uses offense to steal the word. Isn't it amazing how you can get excited about something and all of a sudden you can come home and your spouse can say something and all that fire and passion and zeal is gone because now you're mad. You get an awesome, you have a quiet time, you get this amazing word from God, and you feel like you just got marching orders for your entire life, and all of a sudden you get on Facebook and you get offended. And everything that you were so excited about five minutes ago now has went by the wayside because Satan stole the word with offense. He uses offense. We, we live in an offended world. Have y'all noticed that? People are offended about everything And Satan uses offense to keep people from receiving the word To keep us bound in the world system Instead of in the kingdom of God A spiritual system that liberates us from offense Because I'm not looking to you for validation I'm not looking to you for instruction And I'm not looking to you for direction I take my marching orders from God Come on somebody And I'm not going to be offended by what people say because I'm going to walk in forgiveness. I'm going to bless and not curse. Let me tell you one of the best things I ever learned years ago in ministry is how to bless people when they come and how to bless people when they go. And when they curse me, I bless them. And when they love me, I bless them. I'm just going to bless people. And you know what I found out? It frees my heart. It keeps me fruitful. The moment I stop blessing and the moment I start cursing, I've allowed offense in my heart. Well, Pastor Keith, does that mean you've agreed with everything that's been said and done? Absolutely not. Most of the time I disagree with it. (laughs) But I don't have to agree or disagree to bless and not curse. And to pray. I pray, God bless them. The more they hurt me, the more I pray for God to bless them. The more offended my flesh feels, the more I pray for God to bless them and draw them unto Himself. Why? Because it frees my heart. It keeps me out of a world system of offense where I am unfruitful and keeps me in the kingdom of God where I can bear fruit. I'm just going to tell you, you have to rejoice by choice and you have to forgive by choice and you have to bless by choice and when you do it frees you and then not only is there offense but there's persecution the Bible says that when the seed fell on that second soil that all of a sudden there was persecution and tribulation that arose because of the word Every time you grab hold of a promise from God, every time you make a decision you're going to step out in faith and follow God, there's going to be persecution, there's going to be tribulation, there's going to be resistance because of that word. Satan knows if he can steal the word, he can keep you in the world. But if you grab hold of the word of God, you'll begin to operate in the kingdom. And that word will begin to produce fruit in your life. See, we have this crazy idea that if I do what God wants me to do, it ought to be easy. (laughs) There's resistance, there's persecution, there's pushback, there's trial, there's trouble, there's tribulation. I was thinking about just this morning as I was praying, I was thinking about when we started the church 23 years ago. July the 5th will be our 23rd anniversary. And I was thinking about 23 years ago when we opened the doors of Liberty Church, we had four couples that were, that were there almost from the very beginning. And of those four couples, every couple came on under, under supernatural, spiritual, demonic attack. One was diagnosed with an incurable disease. One started dialysis the day we opened the church. And one battled severe depression. And I thought, you know what? We had a choice. This is what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, Keith, if you serve God to get, then you won't faithfully serve God. If you serve God because you've already received, then you become unstoppable. I'm not serving God to get anything. He's already gave me everything. He's already saved us, He's already redeemed us, He's already rescued us, He's already given us His Word. I'm not serving to get. I'm serving because I've already received. And when persecution and tribulation arises, instead of being discouraged. Because I'm not getting what I wanted to get as fast as I wanted to get it. I can stay encouraged because I'm not trying to get something. I'm serving out of what I've already received. And God is faithful, amen? Amen. And He always gives us more than we could have ever imagined. He always gives us more than we could ever imagine. But we're not serving to get. We're serving because we've already received. And the fact that He saved me... I'm indebted to him for life and I love him because he loves me like nobody else has ever loved me amen and it's a beautiful thing the last thing there is not just persecution but temptation the Bible says in that last verses there those that were sown among the thorns are those who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful let me just say to you the one thing I have probably seen derail more people than anything else is the love of money. When you start chasing money instead of chasing God. Now there's nothing wrong with money. Money is not evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But if you're chasing money and not chasing God, you're going to live in a world system. Because that's how our world operates. And if you're chasing money and not chasing God, you can be bribed and you can be bought. I mean, all the devil has to do to get you out of your purpose is offer you more money on another job. That quick. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people come to me and say, Pastor Keith, I finally realized what God's called me to do. And the next week they get an offer to do a job that's going to take them out of the very thing they just told me a week ago God had called them to do with their life. (laughs) And it's not that God abandons their purpose, but they delay it. Now, again, nothing wrong with money. If you got more money than you need, give it to me. I'll take it. Okay? But don't chase money. Don't allow the temptation for more stuff to cause you to chase the wrong thing. Praise God. I want more money. I want to make more money because we can do more with more. Amen? But I'm not going to chase the thing that wants to ensnare me. I'm going to chase God who liberates me and gives me, then, the Bible says, all things to enjoy. I can enjoy money as long as I don't chase it. The moment I start chasing it, it no longer brings me pleasure. If I chase God, I can enjoy money. If I chase money, I'll not enjoy anything. Because there will never be enough. So let me ask you a question today. What kingdom are you living in? Are you living in the kingdom of God? Are you... Giving, forgiving, serving, and dying? (laughs) or Are you taking, (laughs) revenging your way? (laughs) Controlling and manipulating and stomping on everybody else just to get what you want? See, I realize probably most of us here today, we're we're, we're probably more over here than maybe we are over here, but I want to just challenge us in something today. I want to challenge you. To ask the Lord to show you today any area of your life that you're operating outside of His kingdom. Maybe I'm given to gain over here, but maybe over here I'm trying to manipulate the system to work in my favor. And I want to come out of the world and I want to enter into the kingdom. So let's just bow our heads together today. Two things I do it every Sunday. The first thing I want to do is I want to just challenge you as a Christian to do what I just said. So Holy Spirit, we ask you right now to reveal any area in our life where we're living in the wrong kingdom. Lord, reveal any area in our life right now where we're operating in a world system instead of operating in your system, God. God, we don't want to be manipulated, controlled, or used by this world. We're not looking for a band-aid, God. We believe and know that you are the solution And we want to be a part of that solution We want to live in your kingdom And we want to take your kingdom to all the world So Lord, today we confess any area in our life, Lord As sin that's not in alignment with your kingdom We ask you to forgive us, Father For opening the door to the enemy Allowing him to steal, kill, and destroy Through those areas in our life That have not been submitted to you we thank you for freedom today we thank you for literally translating us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son and so Lord today we repent we return to the high place Lord may we put roots there may we become settled in that holy place of living in your kingdom And refuse to be moved. With every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe you're here today and you realize, Pastor Keith, I'm not in the kingdom of God. I have never accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Because there's only one way to enter the kingdom. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through If you're here this morning or maybe you're watching online, you say, Pastor Keith, I've never entered in the kingdom of God. I've never accepted Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, but today is my day. I believe He died on the cross. I believe He rose again on the third day, and I want to ask Him today to be the Lord of my life. If that's you right now, I want you just to raise your hand. If you're watching online, just hit that little hand emoji or type in the comment box, I'm raising my hand. But if that's you today, today I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Just raise your hand high. I'd love to pray with you today. I'd love to come into agreement with you this morning and lead you in a very simple prayer that makes Jesus the Lord of your life. His hands are going up. This is your opportunity. If you're raising your hand, our usher's going to come. They're going to slip a packet in your hand today. They're going to give you some information. We're going to pray together, but this is your moment. So let's pray this prayer right now in person and online. I want to ask everybody to say this with me out loud. If you're raising your hand, this is for you. Let's say it together. You can put your hand down. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father I, believe I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I submit, I submit my life, my life, life to, your to your Lordship. And I receive, I receive the gift of eternal life. eternal life. In Jesus' name. Jesus. Amen. 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 Let's get a little